Hello and welcome to Gotta Get Out of This Town, a 2000... No, that's not what we're doing today. Hello, welcome to Gotta Get Out of This Town. We're in the month of January. We're talking about five albums from the last year that I very much enjoyed. Uh, and I've decided to go full mask off and just not care about genre and just bring interesting things to the podcast for this month. So, hi, I'm Elaine, and with me there is one other human being. Hi, it's the person who is most suited for the album about progressive rock, Sybil. Yes, this this goes first because this is the one that I feel was most most a Sybil album. We're talking today about what could be considered, depending on what you consider a studio album, the sixth, seventh, or eighth album by the Dear Hunter. I forgot that their discography is complicated, because of course, it's a prog band. Of course, their discography is complicated. Um, Antimai is released last year, and it's really good. I really enjoy this record, and... uh, I really like The Dear Hunter. Uh, we don't really have a history segment when we do this contemporary reviews, but at some point I will sneak in, when we get to 2006, expect me to sneak in The Dear Hunter records in our bonus episodes, because I really like this band. They started as um, Mars Voltae, like post-hardcore proggy thing. Not a bad thing. No, no, They the singer was... Um, one of the members of the receiving end of sirens, which was a pretty, pretty like straightforward um, poster core band, and when the Dear Hunter started as, as his side project, Casey Crescenzo is the singer and main like creative force behind the album. But yeah, like it started as his side project where he wanted to try like weirder songs that weren't like as straightforwardly poster core as the stuff that the receiving end of sirens was doing. And it slowly just became its own thing. On went on for almost twenty years. It's a good band. It's a band that weirdly, uh, to me, I always underestimate them. It's always that thing where it's like I expect the next album to be sort of shit, and then the next album is really good. Uh, I don't know what it is, but they consistently exceed my expectation on what they're gonna do. And this is one of those records. The This is coming after the previous record, which was um, not even a record. It was The Indigo Child, which was basically like a single and a soundtrack to the little um, prologue uh, film thing. They did a short film for this, this new uh, album, which we will talk about probably. Um which was uh, like it was a good soundtrack it's just everyone was expecting a record and uh, like a dear hunter record and it wasn't really so everyone was, uh, everyone including me was like a bit eh on antimai and no it, it's, it's great once again exceeds expectations it's really good prog record and yeah 
The Deer Hunter, they're good. We will talk more about their previous stuff at some point on this podcast. There's a lot of meat here to discuss and we'll dig into it. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the little uh, prologue thing before we go into the record? Uh, Prologue Cycle 8 is the film in question. It's about 15 minutes, give or take. The Indigo Yeah, so basically, uh, the background, this is the, the Casey Crescenzo, really wants to make a movie. Like, he was talking about making a movie when in interviews for Act 5, he wanted the Act 6 or their first story thing to be a movie. It never really came into being. The story of the, the first thing of The Dear Hunter is very much complete, so I'm also very curious about where would have, have an Act 6 went, because... In Act 5, the protagonist dies, and this is not like a sci-fi thing, it's like a World War One era story, because like, there's not a lot where you can go after the protagonist dies. Look, it didn't stop Coheed or the Mars Volta. But yeah, it's the, the first arc is pretty much closed. There was supposed to be an Act 6, which Casey Inter won't really wanted it to be a movie, but it never worked. He has a lot of hands in all of the videos that the band has done. You know, they're always by, you know, director and Casey Crescenzo. He really, clearly, really wants to write something for a movie. And he finally sort of got to do that because they, even though it's a prologue to something that should be bigger, uh, this, they made a short movie for like a sci fi festival introducing this new story, plotline that they're going for with the Deer Hunter. Um, called The Indigo Child, and it's, um, it exists. I don't want to shit on the dude, like, filmic abilities, like, clearly he has passion for it, and, uh, and there are some good things about the video, but the product, the, the, the short movie, but the production, <laughs> the production, um, the production values are clearly a bit low, and uh, the evil puppet it's a bit too silly for what the movie is trying to be. It's great in the it's great because they reused the puppet in the video for this record. It's one of the videos for this record. And it's great in that. It's the the giant puppet is a bit too silly for the very serious, um very serious tone of the short movie. So the film itself is explaining that on the eighth birthday of a child in this city, Antimai, you will be taken as a laborer for 12 years or cycles and can, if your family is still alive to reclaim you, be released to them after this time. This is shown via a mother trying to impart to her son that we do all this so that in theory, the Indigo Child, and yes, I will talk about that name in a moment, is 
coming to save them. We have to just be on the path until then if it's not in our life. It's a, it's a prophecy in a sci-fi story. And then comes the part where the men in costumes and the puppet come into the door, at which point, as Elaine said, this short loses a lot of coherence because you're just looking at the carpet strewn over a wiggle worm with an LED mask. And then someone has to go, do you need a translator? (laughs) It's not a joke. We actually just get a long monologue from this puppet, which is just... Eventually with subtitles. Eventually there are subtitles. Yeah, at first it's just this and the mother is just like, ah! <laughs> it really, really torpedoes the mood it's going for. But also, it's a real downer to start this all off because uh, I would say a lot of the money went to effects. Whatever they did with the tiny little Rolo droid. I can't tell if that's just CG or a mix of practical and CG. Good on them. And the makeup on the child who, once they get got, looks really bad every time we cut to the kid. And I mean really bad in a positive way. This child looks ill suddenly. It's, it's, it's good, but it's also like the, just the, even the design of the big, the big robot is just like... Sort of silly. It's very like it's this wide like tent with a robot face. It's Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> are you familiar with Sesame Street listeners? If you are familiar with Snuffleupagus, imagine if his trunk was a robot face. <laughs> Look, I hope the dude at some point gets to make a feature film movie. Again, as I mentioned, he exceeded expectations at every album that he made. So you know what? Maybe it will be great. Maybe he eventually gets to make his full-length feature movie and it will be great. And I hope he gets, he, he gets through it. He seems to really be passionate about film. So, you know. Also to note, a reason why I had low expectations for this is because I remember in an interview him mentioning that he's a really big fan of Bioshock Infinite. Oh! This writer has better politics than Bioshock Infinite. <laughs> You've just reminded me of the quote from Levine where he tries justifying that actually objectivism is good because it's a philosophy and there's no John Galtz in the left. What? I don't even know what I... From an interview with Ken Levine about the original Bioshock. I'm fascinated by objectivism. I think the problem with any philosophy is that it's up to people to carry it out. It could have been objectivism, it could have been anything. It's about what happens when ideals meet reality. If you have a biological story, that's what it is. When philosophers are books, when fictional stories are fictional stories, 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 when fictional We should probably mention that the tracks on this album follow a weird structure. Yeah, it's in in reverse order, because this is, this is, okay, so let's, first of all, let's start by, uh, the first track is Ringgate Poverty. Walls prescribe the words of a bloodline and 
to mine They've forgotten what it was created for And yeah, as I was mentioning, this is a reverse on the structure because there, it's, it's a world-building record. This does, it's a concept record, but it doesn't really have a story. They're just talking about this sci-fi, hyper-capitalist, very similar to our current reality city. And every, like, every track is like a ring of the ladder. Every track is like a bit of the city. It's like one of the classes in the city. So, yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure I'd call it a weird structure, but it's definitely like track one is ring eight, track two is ring seven, so it goes backwards, technically. Mm. The descending structure and everything being littered with ring X. Yes. Um, also, like an interesting thing is that unlike a lot of prog record, like this, the tracks don't really um, flow into each other much. They're very separate, which is fine because they're all like short vignettes. Yeah, the only one that I caught it doing that on is three to two. <clears throat> yeah, but most of them are like very separate, which it's fine with most of the track. There's just one instance where it's very jarring that I will mention, but it's fine. They're all short vignettes. They don't need to, you know, connect in any significant way. Um, and yeah, we start with the, probably the most neo-prog song of the record, which is Poverty, which this record has some amazingly, like, Almost silly, I would say, but they're so fun, just production choices with the instrumentation and the stuff. Like, this opens with circus music. Like, there's some, like, full-on neoprog instrumentation, and it's just, like, circus music. And I love it. <laughs> I refer to it as Oingo Boingo instrumentation. That is fair. I think they're more inspired by the talking ads, but we're there, basically. Yeah, same same basic structure. Yeah, same area. Uh, it opens fartiest saxophone in the, in the world, just the fart of a saxophone, which is, I really love. This album has great horns. This album has horns all over it, yes. always welcome. Yes, there's so much brass, so much horns on this record, great saxophones, great trumpets. This one is silly because it sounds very much farty, but it's fine. It, it fits the song. Then it goes into an ominous chant, and then you got the circus music, and that's... That, that, that opens the album, and it's like, yes, that's what you're gonna expect from this record. Incredibly weird sonic choices that work, they're fun. A lot of this record seems they're just, like, really having fun with their instrumentation and what they're putting in the record, which I appreciate. It's very cheesy in parts, but that's not bad. It's fine. It's like a big sci-fi rock opera. It's fine if it's a bit cheesy. It's... Uh, that's the point. It, it, it's big and grand, and like it does all of the shit. So you know. So, I'm gonna ask you, as the person who has more experience with the Deer Hunter, I read that one of their prior cycles of albums was about colors. Yes, they did. Uh, eight, nine EPs about colors, 
and each of them was like a different genre and then they collected it together into an album uh they are you can ask your question but they are varying quality they're clearly very experimental they're like we're trying a lot of different things some of them are really good some of them don't quite work uh but okay. yeah go for it do they assign traits to those colors when they're covering that uh, they assign genres to them, really. Like, every color is, like, a different genre, mostly, but it's not a story. Like, the, the color spectrum was not a story. It was just them trying to do, like, different genres with different songs. Why do you ask that? I ask that because I feel like we have to discuss if you're naming this cycle of probably plural albums for the term The Indigo Child... Are you familiar with where that was first used? I am very much not, so please explain. Indigo Child was for a while, and I think this has kind of died off. I don't know if it's still a thing. A very cope-heavy way for a certain type of suburban parent to say, No, my child's not autistic. He's gifted. And Indigo Children was a weird movement to try and reclaim... Well, I don't care what that doctor says. He's just something different and new and bright. And it's not very good in hindsight. So I would like to think choosing that is a deliberate choice informed by what the term had been in the past, but also... It, I suppose it would be possible that you could accidentally trip on your own dick and fall face first on that mistake. Look, from what I reckon from Casey Crescenzo writing and the Dear Hunter as a whole, I really doubt there's a lot of um, social consciousness about choosing the Indigo Child as a term. It's very likely they just read about it and thought it was like a cool concept and didn't explore it further. Like, I don't think there's any maliciousness, but I also am not expecting them to go into the social implication, which I didn't know of it being connected to, like, autism. It's, again, this is a very old, like, early internet would have been when you had this. We're talking, like, GeoCities-era sites and parents trying to connect. What I'm expecting from them is just the Indigo Child is like a special messiah figure. That's it. I don't think they're going to go any deeper than that. Yeah. Maybe unfortunately named, but I also don't think it's like maliciously chosen, right? It's just like they stumbled a bit. Maybe they don't know the context for this, but yeah. Okay. Uh, for what it was, Indigo, the EP is like um, the most electronic of the of the color spectrum. Also one of the the one I liked least. I think it worked less, but it's the one with most synths and electronic sounds. Interesting. Uh, related to that and segueing back to Poverty, uh, this song has percussion patterns like a house track on a rock opera song. It's very fascinating to listen to. Yeah, a lot of the percussion here is very interesting. They do a lot with, again, a lot with percussion and do a lot with brass. And it's, and the song is fun. It's a good opener to the record. Uh, it sort of introduces a lot to what the record is, which is very different from the previous efforts by the Deer Hunter. Like, they're moving more and more in less of a rock direction, which is fine. It works for them, uh, especially in Casey's singing. Like, 
Casey is a great vocalist. I really like his voice. He, I feel he's at his best when it's like really emotionally shouting. But the dude is like 40 at this point, maybe older. I think it's fine if this re- this record has no shouting on it. And I think it's fine, you know, he probably doesn't want to shout for all of his career. So I think it's fine if he did a chiller record. I think it's still very good at it. It's just like, oh, there's no none of those good shouts there are in the, in the other records. This is very much a chiller record. There's a lot of brass. There's a lot of, like, funk influences that we'll hear before. This first track is very uh, neoprog. Like, some of the bits, some of the synths and um, harmonies on this reminds me a lot of Frost, which I wouldn't have thought to say about a Dear Hunter record because they I, I always put them, like, very, you know, aside from the neoprog trends of bands like Frost and a lot of, like, British bands. But yeah, they sort of go neoprog from this opening, which is like cool. It's a it's a very theatrical song. Lots of bits that progress into each other. Prominent brass brass sections and incredibly bleak lyrics. There are sung very softly, almost ominously softly. And I want to point out, I like the lyrics on this one. I want to point this out because I'm going to be a little more critical as we get into the album, but. This is a solid start, and it hooked me instantly. I feel that where the argument comes in, because a lot of people have criticized this record for being very unsubtle with the lyrics, and I love it. It's like, dude, it's a it's a frog rock opera, which are already not known to be particularly subtle. And this from the guy who made like a series of six records around a character named Misleading. The dude is not great at subtlety. Um, we love him for it. <laughs> so, no, the, I guess since we're going to discuss that, it does kind of segue into what will be my critique later on. It's that this track, sure, it can be a little on the nose, but also it does a lot of world building in it. This is setting us up. And some of the later tracks just have the one note, nothing really growing from it, which is why I cool on them slightly. Yeah, that's fair. I, I I really enjoy this record. I think it's one of the best records I've heard this year just because it's fun and it's like it, it touches on very, you know, social topics, but also like in a very rock opera kind of way, very big, very ensemble. I appreciate it. I, I Again, I think it's a tasting. The opening tracks and the single you had linked me to ages ago left me expecting this record would be a 5 out of 5 for me, and I had to settle with it being a 4. Oh, it's a 4 for me, too. It's fine. It's probably my second favorite from them. Like, Act 5, um, Hymns with the Devils in Confessional, it's like, I think it's their, their one record. It's like the one record that if you're gonna listen to The Deer Hunter, just go to Act 5. It's their most mature record, their most, like, really cool rock record. This is a close second. Not a close, but this is second. Like, this is very different from what else they've done. And it sold me. Like, if th- the next records are all gonna be on this sound, like, it sold me on it. This moves. Your family cast you down. Join the rest of us. Struggling to get out of this 
Yeah, so next up is Ring 7 Industry, and this is a bop! Yeah, did it show with us how funky homophobia is? Yeah, yeah, I did start <laughs> looking up. So here's the thing. The problem They never say it. what it's about, but it's about someone who gets kicked out, kicked out by the middle or upper class because uh, there's something that they don't like about him, which, I don't know, it feels like a very queer experience. Uh, and, uh, in some interviews, they do say, yeah, uh, a lot of people who end up here are the gays, the queers, the people who aren't procreating in the upper classes. But... As I said, this track is the one that made me start looking up interviews, doing research. Uh, it was a little after this one that I found out, oh, there's a prologue short film. Great. But we drop in so much color and world building, new terminology, all sorts of things. This is a very creative track. It sounds great. This is probably the best song on the record. It's a funk track. It's like, it has this, like, cool brass and, like, it has this, like, groove to it. It's like, it's great. It's basically a disco single. But yeah, also, this is, you know, straight up. This is about horrendous bigotry and just trying to break you into nothing more than a machine at the bottom of the ladder so that they can have any worth out of you in this society. But... Because you were born in that upper class, you're still better than those people outside. Yeah. Apparently, if you're gay in this universe, they turn you into a robot. Which, to be fair, I feel most queer people I know would be like, hell yeah, give me those gears. But, you know. I did want to point out that there's another system which... Another sci-fi system which actually explored this concept, and I think I like the way it does it better, which is uh, Fortuna in Warframe. There's multiple factions in Warframe, and you can do missions for or against them at different times. One of them are these hyper-capitalists who have turned profit into an open religion. Probably a thing that brought them to a lot of people's attention was when they started putting a little more work into the production side of things. And so there was a track called We All Lift Together used to announce a giant expansion introducing us to Fortuna, a new open world under and above Venus. And these folks are the ones who've been sold into debt slavery. They are just straight up machines underground. Some of them might have some organic bits left, but every time you're deeper in debt, they'll just take another part of you, and now you have company property on you you can use to labor your way back up out of that hole. If you get to the end and like make your way and do all the things you can for these people, you earn the trust up with this faction, the Vox Solaris, you can actually learn that most of them still have one human bit left, their heads. And so they will actually start speaking to you literally face-to-face -face by showing you their human parts while they're in conversation with you instead of these mechanic half-selves. It's a very interesting chain that I think gets a lot more exploration, and I just kept comparing this to it. 
fair enough. I am not familiar with Warframe. The song rules. Like the the shout of Bio Pariah in the in the chorus is great. All of the brass on this is great. Again, you could not lead in with a harder introduction that just showed me this is my sound. Love this. Great so far. And then we go to Ring Six, Low Town. But the quotas are too much. The yield's not enough. We worked our hardest, but the basin's drying up. And they deny that simple truth. They seem determined, resolute to fail. Again, this is the one where the um, I was mentioning where the lack of transitions between tracks gets a bit jarring because it goes from the very, very pop-sounding funk of industry to like very ominous chanting, and it's a bit jarring because it's like it's very much a pure something completely different. Yeah, it's got a choral opening when that was nowhere to be heard on the prior stuff. Not even the chant on the first track was close. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is like a, this is very much a in the vein of other previous Deer Hunter song. It's like they're, it's a slower song, sung very softly. It added brass because this record adds brass to everything. <laughs> it's nice. It's not one of the most memorable songs, but it's very much enjoyable. Like I, it's not particularly long. It's like only six minutes, and it very much evolves like the second half is very much different again one of the least memorable it has some good brass flares some saxophone flares on the second um on the second uh verse and it has a pretty good chorus it's, it's fine I, li- I like the backing vocals they're very very quiet very chill it's a good sound. It's the first part where it goes into what I would describe as a standard prog rock opera mm-hmm. bit. It's interesting that this is where my notes say that I start feeling it's just kind of hammering a point. But this is the track that's just, ah, yes, capital and still wanting ever increasing, unchanging and growing numbers, a cycle that if you think about it for a minute, cannot hold. But again, that's not what you do if you're the person at the top. You need more to justify your position. Yeah, which the next song would be way more about that, but yes. I don't think the next song is the lay- is way more about that, but I have a read on that next song. Though Town is solid. It's depressing in a way that matches the initial prologue film. I, I suppose that technically poverty is depressing too, but it's also wrapped up in a seed of hope. Whereas in this one, 
you know, the basin's drying up, the quotas are too much, the yield's not enough, and we try to get the ice to sweat so we can get anything to, through the ground. Yeah, it's not nearly as happy. I mean, this whole album, by the fact that this album is not a story, it's just showing you the setting, this whole album is a bummer. It's like, oh, everything is grim and awful, which is fair. Everything is grim and awful in real life, so you know what? I get it. Same dude. Yep. This this album has less hope than the master record that we talked about a couple of uh, albums ago. It's true. It's true. All right, I'm gonna need you to start on Ring Five. I know, I get your. I know, I we share the read on middle class. Feel free to start. Okay, I I I feel we all see it as incredibly skating against a certain kind of political entity. (laughs) Uh, my my notes describe it as the most lib bashing song I've heard in years, and I do not back away from that. But also. It kind of peaks with the initial lines and never hits it that good again. And I actually think the outro goes a little too long, but part of that's because the outro feels tacked on from another song. It doesn't gel as well. But, uh, hard to believe he lets us wake up every day. Glory to he who keeps the alien away. Because we have been assigned to turn one and one to three... But God says, keep away the blood of the refugee. Believe us, believe us. Oh yeah, we got it so good that we'll stay here with our heads right in the sand, just like we should. And that last bit's the chorus. Yes. <laughs> this gets repeated a lot. And that's, uh, yeah, very skating indictment of, you know, middle class in general. But as the, the lyrics go on, it does seem specifically about a certain kind of a liberal middle class that would be, that tends to, you know, serve the argument of, well, things cannot be better, so we won't do anything about it. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> this is great. We, will, we would love it if it was better out there, and we would fix it if we had the time. Yes. <laughs> this is so good. And it's also like, this reminds me a lot Again, I come here with the knowledge of previous The Deer Hunter. This reminds me a lot musically of the big epic sound of um, Gloria, which was one of the singles from uh, Act 5, which was the big grand song about the whole saga basically coming to a climax. Mm-hmm. Except this feels enti- like the epicness on the sound feels entirely sarcastic. It's like they went with that sound, turned it up to 11, and just... This is very much a critique of anyone who would, like, 
big up anything to that kind of epicness. It's like, oh, they've done a sarcastic version of Gloria. Love it. <laughs> it's the track I'm most conflicted about. I think that's a good thing. I think there's a lot here. I think that opening punch still has a swing to it. It's just the whole thing sort of fades out rather than keeping any sort of edge. So the song is mostly like three parts. Like it starts with that big skating statement. Uh, then it goes into like a quieter chorus. Not chorus. Then it goes into a quieter bridge. And then it goes back into the brass-based funk with like this repeated... Um, the second half is basically this repeated um, thing of the they got you buying your chains, which in an isolation, I would think it's maybe a bit of a cheesy line, but I feel given how skating like the opening of this is, like it works, it's like it feels earned, like you get to do to do that after you've very clearly like made those statements at the beginning. And the backup is cool, like the, the funky riff, the bass on that over the the chant of they got you buying your chain. Sort of cool. The outro is sort of a bit meandering. But like, I have a question for you. Would you enjoy this song more if the outro was a separate track? If it was like interlude? So what I actually think, and your comment a second ago made me ponder it. I think I would be kinder on this if this was split into two tracks at the midsection, they got you buying your chains onward with that outro. Sort of like middle class, middle class honest. Just I don't know how you split it, but I think if you divide those two, you've got two stronger works for me. I, I love the, the breath on the Archie Bayon chain. Oh, yeah. So cool. Yeah, I, I can't say any of it's something that needs to be cut. Other than maybe, again, the outro. But I think the length of it and how much it meanders dulls the cut of the first initial segment. Again, like, I get it, but also, like, as mentioned, like, I like all of the bits in this. Especially the, the brass and they got your bio chain. This album is so fun. A lot of the, a lot of just the brass stuff is just, like, yeah. It's my shit. Like, I, I love, I, I love the shit. It's good. Oh, again. I praise the album, which is why my uh, critiques are from a place of love rather than absolutely trashing it. You notice I'm not getting catty with them. No, I completely get it. I I am just gushing over this album because it's, it's very much what I want from you. Like, it's big, it's cheesy, it has a lot of, like, diverse instrumentation in it. Again, the Deer Hunter are so, like, incredibly good at writing melodies, like... Like, just like, they've always been. Like, Casey Crescenzo is great at writing vocal melodies. They're all memorable and interesting. Mm -hmm. And then we go into Ring 4 Patrol, which I love. Just a dirty look, don't make it you. But we used to be weary of you. Used to 
You know how like a lot of songs have an A, B, A, B, C, B structure? I think it's very interesting that this song has an A, C, A, B structure. Please laugh. That is a good joke. I wrote it down. <laughs> Please clap. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. You, did, about... you didn't jeb out, I promise. <laughs> no, that's... Uh, Honestly, that's just the thing that I quote almost daily in my life. Please clap. <laughs> oh, I get it. <laughs> um, this rule is about cops being bad, and cops are in fact bad, and it's a big theatrical rock song about it. And it's so good. So, this is a track that I like a lot, other than I think just the outro is a little too long, but it does fit better with the track, so I can't dock it too much for that. The problem is that this track also has some of the easiest comparisons to me. Yeah, And that this feels a lot like some of the second Proto Man album, which goes into very similar themes of fascism and control and has a lot of synth backing. And also this song sounds very much like uh, an artist named Neon Indian, who I don't know if you've heard of. Not off the top of my head. Okay. Very good electronic artist. Uh, also has some props because they kind of got international acclaim because of whipping up a visual synthesizer effect with a Mexican arts grant that got the video out there for a lot of people internationally. Very cool effect and a very melancholy sound to a lot of their works. But that's what this track reminds me of with the synth opening and a lot of not quite chiptune-y instrumentation. Do you have a better term for that? I don't. It, it, I, I don't know what some of the sounds are, but like, again, in the... In the area of weird music production choices, the album opened with like, I don't know if it's a marimba or it's a xylophone, but it's like, do 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 do, which is very silly. But this whole song is like has a lot of like this kind of silly instrumentation, which is really fun. The the intro, like, just I'm gonna I'm gonna splice in the intro here before we talk about it because the intro is like fantastic. It's like, it's like. I don't know, it's like the talking heads, but at the circus. fine line in that it would be very easy to have a track about a cop and it is the cops the patrol is about the police uh, in this no, state there's no sci-fi in this um, <laughs> yeah. just, well, just current current here this track kind of breaks the metaphor for me because does this just mean ring four is nothing but where the cops live yeah, the the ring stuff is I, I think the ring stuff is more metaphorical. It feels more like a class system than a place system. 
that would explain why I can't quite make the count track from the album art. Yeah. It, uh, that's my take on it, that it's more like, more about the classes than specifically about places. But yeah, no, uh, there's there's a bit of black comedy to this track, especially going into the final chorus. Uh, if I ever tried to disobey, you're probably going to find me dead. And there's just a little beat before we go back to the chorus of power. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, whistleblowers don't live long. This is one of the most classic Deer Hunter songs is that it's, it's a rock song. Unlike a lot of other songs in this, this is like straightforward rock, rock, rock song, even though it has, again, it's more funky, it has those kind of like bass in it um, and brass and all of it, but it's structured more like a rock song, which is more in line with what they did before, and it's, it's, it's good. It's very, it's very unapologetically cops are bad, which I appreciate very apologetically like they suck also saving us uh getting some tweets down the road apparently yes ring four is where the police live and train mainly consisting of barracks and training grounds even though the patrolmen are deployed throughout the city and don't necessarily spend time in their own ring oh fair enough that sort of makes sense i don't have any issue with that yeah uh this is actually a genius annotation so cool is there any good genius annotations in this record there's not really any funny ones. It's actually just some people quoting interviews or tweets, uh, answers to fan questions about the cycle and everything, and just fleshing some things out. Guess this is not a genius episode. Yeah, sorry. I was looking for anything funny and weren't really any that were worth putting a footnote on. Sorry. Fair enough. I like the I like I like the bridge on this, which gets very whispered, and like low tone, and then it explodes again. Again, the, and then there's the bit that you mentioned, where it's like a bit of a comedy bit, and it explodes, and uh, the trumpet riff. It's great. Yeah, and that brings us into the track that has the other video for this record, "Luxury." choose we can make moves no matter what they lose we can be right we can be wrong we can make mistakes because gentlemen i believe everything happens for reasons just look at the seasons and here we've been divine roots entrenched in time honored traditions which we all can malign Yes, they were they were used the puppet for this. In a much more effective way, I believe. This is sort of the um, in the flesh of the record from the wall, where it's just like the bad capitalist guys just like talking and making a big speech about how uh, they are evil, fundamentally. This is again very unsubtle song. We have all read Elon Musk's DMs and we know that actual evil capitalists are way more stumber than this. But in the context of a big rock opera, this works. I feel if this is ever like a stage production, like this is where the songs really work, because this is very much the villain speech, right? It works narratively, even though it's not maybe not one of the best songs on here. This is the longest, and I actually had to go find it because the video cut is much shorter. Mm -hmm. Yes, the video cut is just the first part, I believe, of this. 
With a little bit of the outro, yes. And if yes. you only listen to that, which is the way they have it set up on their YouTube page, but I thought this seems too short for this record, uh, you miss quite a bit. So yeah, this track uh, begins, and most of the video focuses on the Hall of the Guides, which I guess that is what those puppet creatures are called. And... I mean, I don't quite... This is where some of the metaphor falls apart for me, because they're talking about trying to break down everyone in the industry ring into servants, maybe semi-mechanical, cutting off human bits for more efficiency. But then we've just got a bunch of robot snuffleupaguses who are the secret rulers of the... or the decision makers or something... Everything falls apart a little around this point for me in terms of the world building. Yennefer, I... So my thing is that I don't care that much about the world building in that... I don't know, like... It's the thing with rock operas where, like... Yes, it's fun that there is a story, but in the end, I like the music, right? I don't think... I don't actually think concept albums are a very great medium for storytelling, mm -hmm. so I'm way much more lenient with them in regards of when they don't work narratively. And it's like, if the music is good, I mean, I'm still on board. And I am still on board on this. This is a long song, it gets a bit long, but there's very defined sections and it works musically. It starts as the big, like, villain song, and then it becomes like a mellower you know, upper-class song. And it has a lot of cool, memorable bits. Some are right with it, but please go on on how the narrative breaks down. So, I actually think that to do a good concept album, you have to come at it from the vein of how would this be performed? And it's why one of the... One of the things that I point out most in why I will stand up and defend who were basically kind of a novelty act, but came into their own, the Proto Men. Their first album, okay, very uneven. Their second album, they start taking that to heart, and there's one track, which is a very downbeat, it's sort of the middle, and it leads into an interlude that actually plays with instruments to do a lot of work on this, but it is the trial of Thomas Light, and it is mostly consisting of our narrator, who is, of course, one Dr. Thaddeus, or Dr. Thaddeus, Dr. Thomas Light. You know, I just said his name. Uh, one Dr. Thomas Light on trial for the murder of a woman by a robot he had a hand in creating. We know this was not his fault, but he is feeling incredibly broken by this. This is what sets him on the path to running away and leaving this city in the hands of a madman like Albert Wiley. And it works out because he is just explaining himself and how he feels everything that has happened is his fault. As we hear the chorus chanting out, we find him not guilty as he's screaming, guilty! And just beating himself to death inside. It's a very good performance. And also, it segues into everyone a instrumental track where 
suddenly, okay, it's just guitars, and then it becomes this more and more distorted electronic sound as this large city becomes a megalopolis of robots, and you have the madman taking control. You have the Skull City. It's a very good bit of how to handle things, and also, like the wall, you can do a lot with performance if you have people slowly putting up bricks over the course of it and projectors. A lot of a good concept album comes down to how you show things to a crowd, to me. This doesn't seem like it could do that. I try to imagine what the band would be doing for some of this, and I don't think it quite gels. That said, I don't think... I've, I haven't been to a live show by the Deer Hunter, but I don't think they ever performed their um, concept albums as, like, concept albums. They they just do songs. Which is part, part, of, why, part of why I'm, like, I don't super care about their... Like, it's cool that they have a narrative, but it's not my focus when on their stuff. I think they're just, like, very good musicians and very good, like, songwriters. Just in the abstract, just writing good songs. And then there's a narrative, and it's fine. This is probably the most narratively coherent record they've made. Like, the, the other Dear Hunter records, yes, had a narrative, but they were also, like, a lot more scattered, and you couldn't tell the narrative really without reading into it. This is the one where the narrative is more in your face. And yeah, maybe it doesn't work as well, but I, I enjoy the song. I especially enjoy the ending, where it suddenly turns into a dance song. <laughs> Which I find incredibly funny. That's a good joke. It is. Also, uh, I have just found footage of a concert where they performed the full color spectrum live. And yeah, it looks like they just stand on stage and perform. There's no showiness to this. Also, the color spectrum is very much not a story. They're just like songs. Fair enough, just like, I, I don't see this being a group that's very, yeah, we're going to do a full live show watching this. Although, I am impressed by the way they set up this stage, because they have a wide variety of musicians cycling in and out over the three hours of this set. Also, props to whoever that hot uh, violinist is. Damn, girl. <laughs> Fair enough. What? No, I'm just randomly be being horny on main shirt, Sybil. It's not horny, it's just, damn, she has a style that works. And then we go to the second to last song, Nature, which I think is the shortest song of the record. basically that George Carlin bit where it's like save the earth no the earth will be fine we will be dead mm -hmm. yeah it's basically that but a song it's like it's the shorter song of the record it's a bit of an interlude it's sort of chill and then it goes becomes very ominous near the end which I like it's a good progression 
It's not one of the best songs of the record, but it works, and I like how ominous it gets by the end. It has the it has a uh, green from the color spectrum vibes because you know nature. Hmm. It's interesting. Uh, I like the opening with uh, calypso bells, and. So while it sounds like from what details we get, they don't really mention a lot on the record, but that initial short very much makes the prophecy of the Indigo Child seem uh, quite Jesus-y. He will return, they will be born, come for us. I don't actually know if they gender the Indigo Child. I thought there was a mention of a she or something. Either way, the line, something changed in them when they heard I am, is a very interesting way to, again, reference biblical-esque in an innocent way uh, narrative in this work. So I found that fascinating. But also, uh, nature is just the wild slowly acting as a moat to ring one, and this is where all sorts of critters and plants and things live that are very against humans. Don't go into ring two if you can help it. Yeah, and they're very much like we are we are the one who are gonna stay after you you all kill each other. We are gonna be still there, which I think is cool. It is definitely that George Carlin bit. Yes. <laughs> Let's go to Circle One Tower. This song is an earworm. Like, I just go through my life and my brain just randomly plays the na 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 getting from tower if you're not come from tower bit. That just, that bit is just stuck in my head now. I don't know how to get rid of it. You still there? Yes, I am. Sorry, I'm just looking over. There's a super... Are you still looking at TV tropes? No, there's a super dense bit in the annotations on this track and I was just suddenly looking through this like Jesus I have to scroll down two pages for this <laughs> yeah I was trying to just read ahead on that bit while you were doing your intro and it's like oh my god okay read read your read your, your, your thing I will keep talking about this track no no I'm done now but just if you wondered why I was just suddenly like silent it's like oh my god you wrote so much but also you've probably Come up with a lot of where the story is going, guy on Genius. Good job. Nice. Uh, yeah, no, I, this song has very, this very earwormy chorus of uh, talking about how um, the only people with power in this universe are the people who are born into power, which means they are born into tower, which is the central bit. 
Um, the good, good pun. I appreciate it. Very catchy bit musically. Mm -hmm. Also, the intro is incredibly tight on the song. The guitar and synth intro is like just this wonderful, like proggy soundscape, which I really appreciate. Very tight intro. This is a jam of a final track. I'm all about it. Uh, apparently, the tower is where you house the God Emperor, who is mentioned in brief on earlier tracks as being XCV, praise be his number, uh, is the reference it's in 14. earlier tracks. It's the 14th. What? No, not with a C. C is Oh, 100. okay, right. Yeah, Wait, I, I, I think that XCV? means the 95th. Yeah, that be makes sense. Let me check. It's 100 minus 10 plus 5, so it's 95th, yes. Just double-checking, my Roman is very bad. I, I would be that bit from the end of Life of Brian. Romans, they do go home. I don't like Monty Python. <laughs> I don't overall, but I think there are definitely some good jokes through them, and that entire seed is a very good bit of farce. I think none of the Monty Python movies are good enough to to get to the good jokes. I, 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 now the internet the internet will hate me because I I grew up when all of the internet really loved the Monty Python movies in the early 2000s and early 2010s, and I don't know why. Look, I grew up in the era where I had a and d game interrupted by someone putting on the Holy Grail, and we all stopped playing and just watched it that day. I get it! My last Fate game, Tabletop RPG, was interrupted by all of my players getting really into the concepts of birds with arms, like <laughs> birds with human arms. So, you know. Do you think that's what Elon Musk thinks Twitter is? <laughs> like, just a bird with human arms? <laughs> yes. Yes. That, that is it. This is how the coding is done. What do you mean we have all these people on visas? Why, why does Elon Musk talk like Vince McMahon? <laughs> because he's just as stupid. Have you heard him speak? He's the stupidest person alive. I, I, I don't think I ever heard him speak. If you do, you'll wonder how anyone takes him seriously. Okay. Fair enough. Don't, don't go out of your way, but just, if you do, you'll suddenly understand, oh, the Emperor has no clothes, which is a good fit for this trick, because... Yeah, it's, a, it's one of the lines on, uh, on the song. Why does the Emperor needs, to cl needs no clothes when he can keep the people in this post? Or something about that. I'm going from memory. Yes. I don't have the uh, No, you're, you're one word off if he keeps the people indisposed. Okay. But yeah, basically, this is... Uh, the man in the tower is... A tyrant of amazing pedigree who has no urge in anything but making the world dance to his whims. And I actually like this track. I think it's an excellent outro in sound and concept. It's a great closer. If we ended with anything but this, I'd probably be a little more unhappy with the album. But it's great. This is a good way to set things if you know you are coming back to this world. Uh, I really like the ending of this lyrically. Um, facts are fiction if you've never seen them. The world is only made more insane where the helpless many praise the name of the very ones who want who want us stuck beneath them. Like, that's cool. That There is a mood. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh. Same song, different chorus.
And yeah, this ends the record. Final thoughts? I set it up at the top, but I really think I expected more, and because of that, I'm a little harder on it than I would have been if I came into this blind. However, still great. I just expected it more up my alley with a lot of the roads I walk down. And I do not come away from this thinking this is bad. This is one of those things that did get purchased as a result of this show. Nice. Yeah, this is one of my favorite records of the year, like at least top five. This is good. This is what I want from music. It's a big rock opera. It's cheesy. It has good politics, even if they're very unsubtle. Um, it has nice, big operatic sound, which can backfire sometimes when Ben trying to do the sound. But turns out, the Deer Hunter have enough good taste that all of this, while really fun, it also sounds fine. It doesn't sound... Like, too cheesy. Like, there is a cheesiness to it, but it's mostly about, like, you know, having fun with a lot of interesting instrumentation choices. But they all cohere to, a, like, a solid sound. It never feel overblown. It never feel like they're going above what their what their scope is. Um, it's just very... I, I don't know if I would call it tasteful, because it's on the brink of not being tasteful, but it's very fun, and it's very well-composed. And again, there's all, all of the stuff that I love from The Deer Hunter, interestingly enough, is still here. Like, even if the post-hardcore influences are basically not here anymore, it's not... It's mostly not a rock record. It's like a rock opera record, which is basically not really fully rock. Like, there's not a lot of guitar-driven stuff. Like, the vocal melodies are still there. The fun production is still there. So yeah, no, this is good. This is a very good record. It is a four, 4 out of 5 for me, but yeah. It's definitely my second favorite album by the band after Act 5, which is, you know, good. It's good, because I really like them. Um, I'm really looking forward to see what they're doing next, because, again, they once again exceeded my expectation of what their next project was going to be. So, go and get that rock opera story. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I look forward to what the next one sounds like after a world-building record. Also, while we're doing our year-end episodes, since this is going to come out just after the turn of the year by memory? Maybe on the 1st. This may just be coming out on the 1st of January. Well, let me just say, shout out to Divorce, which is just putting up crazy numbers in 2022. Literally nobody doing it better this year. Good on you, Divorce. Is there a band called Divorce, or are you talking about the abstract concept of Divorce? I'm talking about the concept of Divorce and the fact that at one point in time, there is a tweet that has never left my memory, which is just a joke about, you know, new Kanye threw three vocal filters over a beat with five different hymnals. God told me I need to get more divorced. <laughs> and it's like, we didn't know years ago what we know now about how divorced that man could be. And he's not even the only one. That's the amazing thing. We're not even talking it's one guy going through it. It's a whole type of guy with money is just shot after shot after shot. Divorce cannot be stopped in 2022. <sighs> oh, that's great. Uh... Let's go to the ending bit. (laughs) 
And this was an episode, so you can find us at getoutofthistown.com, where you can find all of our episodes. We're all, of course, on all of the podcast platforms or whatever. If you want to leave us a review, go on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. It, it would help. It's good. More people will know about us. But yeah, uh, what else? What else? If you go on our website, getoutofthistown.com, there's also a contact form and an email. You can write to us if you want. Blah, 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 blah. This, this, this was an episode. Be brave. Br- yeah, brace yourself for a January of new music from 2022. Fun. I, this is my favorite part of the year because I get to not talk about pop punk. You would ask, why did you start a, a podcast about pop punk if you don't want to talk about pop punk? And I don't have an answer for that. Do you have an answer for that? I do. It's because you wanted to get me to come along and point and laugh at things. Or it's because you knew I was an egg and this was one of the easiest ways to get me to crack. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's the second time. Second one. Second one. I mean, listening to My Chemical Romance is a way easy way to crack, to be fair. <laughs> we, all, we all need to go through that experience. Um, but yeah, do you have anything to plug, Sybil? You can find me at my... By the time this is out, it should be redesigned website, hellscaper.com. Redesigned again? Yes. Okay. Because WordPress updated and broke some shit. <laughs> okay. Ah, yep. I miss WordPress. And because I've been doing a bunch of CSS thanks to co-host, I figure, why not? Let's just get under the hood. Okay. Is CSS a sex thing? Custom style sheet. <laughs> I know, I was making a joke. <laughs> I didn't know! Your generation doesn't use a lot of it! Yeah, we have all of our Twitters and our Facebooks. My, no, not Facebooks. I haven't used Facebooks in a decade. Um, Yeah, and you can also always find me on Twitter at ACC the Moon for as long as Twitter lives. I guess you can always also find me on co-host at Actually the Moon. I guess I should say that, because I, we don't know how much Twitter will last. Um... And we do not have a Patreon, but if you want to support us, send us your best records of 2022. I'm up to listening to some new shit. Yeah. Yeah, just tweet at us, or write me on co-host, or send us a mail. I think mails will still be around by January, so I think that's the safest bet. Just send us a mail. Talk to us Chost about us, our favorite record of 2022. What? Chost us, homies. <laughs> Good, I said that night. with a straight face. Goodbye. Bye. Good night. Goodbye. Bingus. Not like I've got the time to stick around. I'll catch my flight like a pop pumpkin and get out of this town. What's on your mind? There's no point left to keep your image down. Let's terrify.